Amen. This morning, I'd like for you to turn. I can't sing like she can. No, now I'm going to stick with this, and I'm not good at this, but I want you to turn to Ruth chapter 1, and we're going to look through this book, but something that Lord just really spoke heavy on my heart this week, and we'll get to it in a minute, but uh, did you know that Men K died this week? Now, most would have no clue who I'm talking about. He wasn't from Claxton. He wasn't from Georgia. Matter of fact, he wasn't from the United States. Menke was an Aka Indian. He was born and lived his life in Ecuador. And the thing that he is most famous for, he is really infamous. You see, Menke was one of a group of Aka Indians, Aka warriors that attacked Christian missionaries on a sandbar uh, during Operation Aka in 1956. In this attack, where these missionaries had gone, they had left their homes, they had left the comfort of the United States, uh, Nate Saint, the Bush, the jungle pilot, uh, Jim Elliott that we know uh, wrote my favorite quote of all time outside of scripture that he is not a fool to give up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. These men were there to share the gospel with these nationals in Ecuador. And yet they were killed for it. And Men K was one of those warriors. But you see, later in life, after this act, the gospel cannot be hid. It cannot be put away. It cannot be put down no matter what restrictions, no matter what quarantines, no matter what borders are closed, no matter what regime is in power, the gospel will always prevail. It prevailed under the rule of Nero. It prevailed under and through the dark ages. It has prevailed through the United States. And listen, I don't care what anybody tells you, the church of the living God is alive. And it is because the gospel prevailed at Calvary. And because of that, listen, during these days... There's no way to express what thoughts and what emotions must have ran through Elizabeth, Elizabeth Elliot's mind there on the mission field with her children. Nate Saints, now widow, and children with Steve and others there on the mission field. Away from their comforts of grandparents and away from the comforts of the local church. And no doubt, the overwhelming experience of feeling empty. They were saved. They were born again. They knew who their God was. But every believer somewhere in their life finds themselves saying, God, where have you gone? 
why have you left me? You know, we're into two months of uh, quarantine, social distancing. Uh, the every If you go into a store, there's these blue tapes with crosses and you have to, or X's, you have to stop so many far uh, distance away from those around you. During this time in 1956, way before there was uh, mass, even mass color TV, much less internet and smartphones, these families experienced deep, deep emptiness. But back to Men K. You see, Men K died April 28, 2020, at 80, somewhere around 88 years old. There's no birth certificates to look up in the jungles. But Men K did not die with the weight of the sin of that attack. Because not long after this, through the filling of God, an overwhelming presence in the saints and the Elliot's families. Men K was led to the Lord. Men K became a believer. Jesus Christ saved him. Even in 1997, he traveled to the United States and even traveled with Stephen Curtis Chapman during a, a tour to share his faith in Christ and what God had done. I'm going to tell you how absolute polar opposite from empty to being filled you can become is in the fact that the saints' children would forever remember Menkei not just because of what they had, he had done to their father, but until, he, until his death, they called him grandfather. The man who had taken their father's life became a grandfather to them. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I can't, I can't wrap my head around that except to use one word. That is grace. Today, as we look in the book of Ruth, we're not going to look at Ruth. We're going to look at Naomi. It said in chapter 1, verse 21, she said, I went out full. And the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why then should you call me Naomi, seeing the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? Now I want to give you a little background, and I just want to walk through her life and look at being empty. Many people are experiencing this, and as I uh, speak to others, I've experienced it myself. I'm a outgoing person. I like to see and talk, go sit down and eat lunch with uh, church members and friends. I found myself riding through neighborhoods looking for church members that may be working in the yard that I can just pull up and stop, wave, and, and talk to them from outside of the truck. And so there's been dark days where it just, you feel like you're in Groundhog Day. You're repeating the same thing day in, day out. And it feels like you're never going to get there. And even though I told Andrew, uh, you know, tell them that we're going to start and I'll, I'll give more information at the end, it was still, I was like a kid hearing him say it. The day we've been looking for. 
But I want you to look with me at Scripture. Look back at the very start of this book, this little bitty book that's so profound. It said in verse 1, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And you know a famine? It, there was no food. I mean, things were tough. And it said, A certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Now that sounds nondescript. It sounds like, you know, it's common sense. There's no food here. We'll go somewhere else. But wait and let us dig a little deeper. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah, and they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left. She was all alone, her and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. And Malon and Chilion died also, both of them. And the woman, Naomi, was left, left of her two sons and her husband. Now I want you to notice something with me today. Naomi, and it used to be, and all through Scripture, names meant something. Names meant something. Do you know that if you'll look and study the names of American cities, they're named after people, prominent people, things that went on. I didn't know until I got older. I had worked all around Gwinnett County and been all through there. I had no idea until I walked the halls of the United States Capitol. Every state in the Union has two statues in Statuary Hall. There's a hall that leads down the U.S. Capitol, and every state gets to put in two statues. Now, often they rotate those statues in and out. But one of the statues, as our guide took us through, said, and here's one of your, your statues, Button Gwinnett. I said, who? Never heard of her. said, it wasn't a her, it's a him. Button Gwinnett was one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence from one of the original colonies, which was our state, Georgia. Names meant something. Well, Naomi's name meant pleasantness of Jehovah or joy. Her name reeked of a smile. It absolutely epitomized a woman who carried herself with great joy and the pleasantness of God dwelling in her life. Remember, she had grown up in Bethlehem, this great, great city where our Lord and Savior would be born hundreds and hundreds of years later. This city that would be prophesied about, Bethlehem. And yet, things took a dramatic turn. There are mile markers in all of our lives where we look back at things that happened, heartache, 
great things that rattle us and can even change our physical makeup. Well, this happened to Naomi. Naomi had went from being full to being empty. We just read her own words. She even said, as we look through these verses, she even declared that her name should be changed. Now I want you to notice, first of all with me today, that change can bring emptiness. Change can bring emptiness. From children that have stayed at home, we thought we were empty when we had to send them off to school until many of you got them put back at home the last couple of months. You're thinking, well, I wasn't quite as empty as I thought I was. But you know, change, whether it's children going from kindergarten to elementary or from high school to college or going from a a certain age into another category and we are big on titling different groups and different ages or changing jobs, change can bring emptiness. We see in these first five verses how much change happened to Naomi. She changed her address. She changed her box. When she filled out her census, she went from married to widowed. She went from having two children to no children. Her entire life had been turned upside down. Now, some background. There was famine. Now, get this. There was famine in Bethlehem. Do you know what the name Bethlehem means? The house of bread. It's literally what Bethlehem means. Isn't it fitting that the bread of life was born there in the house of bread? God was judging Israel in this famine. Now, it was during the time of the judges, so the kings had not taken place. Israel, in their rebellion, when they said, we want to have kings like everyone else, that time had not yet come to pass. But what had come was rebellion. And in their rebellion, God was judging them. God was judging them by taking away some of the temporal things that they thought they could do themselves. Does that sound familiar? We get into a rut. And now what I'm hearing is things are starting to loosen up and restaurants are starting to open up. And thank the Lord, uh, beauty salons and barbers are opening up. As you can tell, I've not visited one yet. But as we look at that, I've heard Christians speculate, will things be different when we come back? Well, of course they would. And they should for the better. Some said, oh, people are going to be more comfortable watching online and watching at home and church attendance is going to go down and the way church is will never be the same. I hope it's never the same, but I hope it drives us to understand. I'm going to tell you, I've been ultra blessed, not just in watching the videos on our website, but hearing people calling me and texting me and saying, oh, pastor, I miss my church. And when when they say that, they don't miss the buildings. They can ride circles around it all they want. They miss the believers. They miss you. You miss them. And I pray May 17th that we see that God is driving us back to where we need to be. They had left 
the center of God's will. God was judging Israel for rebellion. Now, they had left looking for food. Now, that sounds cavalier. The problem was, and I thought about this, because, you know, Jacob sent his sons to Egypt to look for food. But here's the difference. Elimelech didn't send someone to go look for food to bring back to where he was at. He just loaded up and left. And here's the lesson. When we're empty of the temporal things, we will never solve our problems in and of ourselves. But Elimelech tried. And he dug his family a deeper hole. We cannot run from the judgment of God. There's no place you can hide from God's judgment or God's chastisement. If you're a child of God, God loves you. Now, I I never understood this as a child, but the older I got, the more I understood what being punished or corrected meant in love. The Lord says, those that I love, I correct or I chastise. He even goes as far in the Old Testament in Psalms to say that a parent who will not chastise and correct their child doesn't love them. Well, God loved his nation. God loved his country. God loves his people. Yet Elimelech ran from the presence of God, much like Jonah, trying to get away and rescue his family of himself. Listen, men, we're guilty sometimes of putting our families in precarious situations thinking we can fix the problem. Mothers, you think you can fix the problem. Listen, college age, high schoolers, you think you can fix the problem. Elimelech would not only bring his family away from the presence of God, he would bring himself to the grave and leave his family abandoned. You see, absence from the comforts of home it's change, isn't it? I can remember moving away. I'd lived in a three-county area for 40 years. One day that call came and we were called out of state four hours from everyone and everything we'd ever known. And even at 40 years of age, it was startling. You know, it, the excitement wears off. And you realize, I don't know where I'm at. I can remember because I I got involved in the school right away and I started helping with the football team. And I can remember one Friday night, that first year, I'd only lived there for about four months. And we were on the bus and we had went somewhere to a football game. And I can remember riding back in the quietness after that game, sitting there looking out of the bus and a place I had never been before and thinking, dear God, where am I? I have no idea where I have come to. It was an absence from the comforts of what we consider home. I couldn't just run in the truck and run over to my parents or go see my brothers or go to my favorite restaurants or go to the people that I know at the store or even run to a Home Depot. It was... We were a geographical oddity. We lived an hour and a half from everything. 
You see, it was the absence from the comforts of home and there are days where it felt like the walls were closing in. No doubt Naomi felt that. The absence of faith. You see, they ran from the presence of God. I want to ask you today, right where you're at, whether it's in these pews or whether it's on your couch, sitting in a chair on your back deck with a cup of coffee, I want to ask you, are you running from the presence of God? Are you enjoying this quarantine a little more than maybe you should? Are we leaving the center of God's will trying to fix the problem ourselves? Do you know Elimelech's name meant my God is king? But in his actions, the, the Bible tells us over and over that words matter when actions equal them. It does no good to tell someone one thing and do something completely different. Would you agree? I don't think there's anyone, I don't care what party you're from, that I don't believe there's anyone that's not skeptical when a politician tells you something. And even in, to my own chagrin, there are many preachers and pastors who have declared one, recently declared that he could just blow the quarantine away. What absolute heresy and nonsense. To think that we can do something ourselves, but what we do, his name declared, my God is king, but his actions said otherwise. He went to a land, Moab, that's called waste. It literally means nothingness and stayed there for 10 years. There's nothing sadder, I believe, that I have experienced than to hear someone tell me, you know, God called me to teach a Sunday school class or called me to be a preacher or called me to do this or wanted me to get in or I was in church and serving and somehow we got out and I've just never, I know I need to, but I just never have done what God wants me to do. Man, what a wasted life. What a sad, empty, wasted Lie. I am so thankful we have people like the ones here right now that every Sunday during this quarantine, and I know many of you would love to do this, but they have not hesitated to get up, get dressed, come. They practice during the week and they lead us in praise and worship. They're using what God has given them and they're being obedient to God's call on their life. But I'm going to tell you, our pews and our churches are full of people who have giftedness. God has gifted them supernaturally. If you're saying, that's not me, that's not me, I'm here to tell you. If you're born again and you're denying God's call on your life, you're telling him the Holy Spirit's not welcome in control of you. Because a supernatural gift is what God does that you can't without him. Elimelech was depending on himself, and so he left the house of bread for a place of nothingness. How many of us do that? And it, it doesn't come, we get up one morning and say, you know what, I think I'll leave the presence of God. Elimelech didn't say that. He said it, 
But it, that's not what he said with his mouth. He told his wife, hey, I'm going to take care of y'all, and we're going to go. But in truth, he was running because think about this. Elimelech not only left his home where he was born and raised, he was a leader. We see that in his family genealogy. He was leaving the judgment of God on the nation of Israel, of which he was a major part, but he was also leaving his responsibility in leading others back to God. You men that are sitting there, and maybe you're watching this, and you haven't gone to church in ages. And it sent a cold chill up your spine when Andrew said we're going to have church again May 17th because you know the next thing your wife looked over at you, she may not say anything, but she nodded at you. Hey, it's time to be a man, a God's man, and lead by example. Listen, parents, it's not. It's not. Listen, I thank God for every child that attends at Eastside, but it is not my job to be your child's number one spiritual caregiver. It's yours. You're going to stand accountable for that. Elimelech did not lead his family where God wanted him to lead. And his, not only did his immediate family suffer, his wife suffered this great emptiness, but his city would have suffered. My God is king, but my life declares its nothingness. Herbert, Lock, Herbert Lockyer wrote, Moab was only 30 miles from Bethlehem. And I thought about that. What is that, about here to Vidalia? 30 miles. Now, we'll run to Vidalia, go to Walmart or go to Lowe's or go to a restaurant. No big deal. But understand, they did not have cruise control. They didn't have GPS. They didn't have air conditioning, much less any vehicle to ride in. 30 miles was a pretty good journey. Still, it was only 30 miles from Bethlehem. The distance, however, Lockyer wrote, was not one of miles, but of mind. Naomi found herself resembling the prodigal son. Think about it. She was living in a far country. I can remember going from Jordan into Israel and crossing the Allenby Bridge and what an absolute stark difference across that one little river. I mean chain link fences, concertina bob wire, I mean everything machine gun nest. I can remember going from that Arab state into Israel. I can remember going back across there and feeling that was one of the most nervous feelings I had ever experienced in my life. Or going through a border between Hungary and Ukraine and all of these guards and the machine guns and all the other things wanting to know, listen, what a stark difference from going from God's place to a place of nothingness. Morton wrote, distances in the Bible are not measured from one place to another, but from God. How far away from God that Israel went. Naomi experienced a profound emptiness, feeling like she was a million miles away from God in his country and his comfort. It said the prodigal son, when he looked at his dad and said, I wish you was dead, just give me mine now like you are dead. And he took off and he went to live his life of riot. It said, and he ventured into a far country. Naomi found herself in the exact same spot. 
But you see, change can bring emptiness as well as heartbreak can cause emptiness. Look in verse 19 again. It said, So they went, two of them went, until they came to Bethlehem. Now this is Naomi and Ruth. You know the story. Elimelech dies. Malon and Chilion dies. She says, you know what? Enough's enough. enough. You ever been there? You ever said enough's enough? You get on your face, you say, God, I, it may not get better, but it cannot be worse than this. And so she said, I'm going back. I'm going back where I belong. And told her daughter-in-laws, stay here with your family. And we have that very famous Famous scripture that I have quoted and used and people have asked me to use at many weddings where Orpah said, okay, bye, I love you, mean it, write to me. And Ruth says, no, please, Naomi, please. I don't want to leave you. You're family now. And your land will be my land. Your home will be my home. Your people will be my people. And here's what's important. This little Moabitess said, Naomi, your God will be my God. And so these two began a journey. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, is this Naomi? Now, I, I'm just picturing in my mind because listen to what she says. And she said unto them, call me not Naomi, call me Mara." For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full and God has brought me back home again empty. So why then call me, call me Naomi? Why call me pleasant or joyful? She said, I'm not that anymore. She said, call me one of bitterness and emptiness. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. Now, you pick up, the famine was over. There was great plenty in Bethlehem. You see, this, there was great heartache that Naomi took. Her husband had died. Her two sons had died and she was left with two Gentile daughter-in-laws that her sons should have never married according to law. They should have never married these two women and yet they did. And so Naomi was literally living a nightmare. She was living the 2020 coronavirus quarantine times 10,000. She was living with an overwhelming grief a nightmare. You see, she experienced extreme sadness. Her half, when the Bible tells us we shall leave and cleave and two shall become one, her half, her husband, her spouse, the one that she had entered into a covenant with and married was no longer there. The children of her youth those sons that she watched play together and separated when they fought together and the ones that sat there and she helped teach and 
love on and fix food for and watch them follow their daddy around had now died. What extreme sadness. And in that, and I want all of us to remember, and I'm so thankful for church members who have reached out to me to reach out in our church. She was one of those widows that was literally a widow indeed. She was one of those desperate, the Bible says, widows who had no son to take care of her. She had no family to take care of her. Her daughter-in-laws could not take care of her. Naomi was experiencing an excruciating loneliness. Think about it. She had nothing to get up for the next day. No one to go see. No grandchildren to come and play. Really no one to fix food for or to pet on. It was a dreadful lostness. Some of you right now has had your cart turned over in life. Some of you are experiencing job loss. You're experiencing furloughs, pay cuts. Many are struggling and suffering in so many ways. We pray and our heart's desire is to see you blessed. But don't waste an opportunity to see God drawing you out of what you perceive as a complete emptiness to where God is driving you back under the faucet of grace that he can fill you once again. Naomi had to come to this point to go back to be what God wanted her to be. Heartbreak can bring emptiness, wouldn't you agree? But then emptiness leads to desperation. Desperation leads to action. We've heard it say that desperate times calls for desperate measures. It said in verse 22, Naomi returned. She returned to God. She said, what, what have I got to lose? I'll be honest with you. Most here have heard my testimony. But in December of 1983, having run for approximately two years from God's call on my life to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, I pulled over in front of Six Flags that cold, wintry day. And I had no idea. All I knew was the harder I ran from God, the more empty and lonely and full of despair I had become. And when I pulled over, my exact prayer was, God, your way cannot be worse than mine. So whatever you can do with this, have at it. That desperation, that emptiness, that loneliness met with despair drove me to action. It drove Naomi to action. And it drives us either away from God or to return to God. Naomi chose the best way. You see, emptiness had left Naomi almost unrecognizable. Listen, they looked. They said, hold on. Is that Naomi? You ever saw somebody and they have been gone for a long time? They're not, they've not lived a life that was prosperous in the Lord. They've not lived for the Lord. And see, listen, I'm going to tell you something. Sin will age you. Sin, sin is death by degree. It will age you. And Naomi came back and she said, listen, emptiness, loneliness will age you. I can remember in eighth grade, my best friend's father died. 
He was a firefighter and he had a heart attack fighting a fire. And I'll never forget that his mother aged 10 years in a month. I can remember as an eighth grade boy seeing the most stark sadness I'd ever seen on a person's life. She just died last week. Now, if you don't know, that's been a long time ago. But she lived without a husband. And her life was turned upside down. The last time I saw her was in the church where I met her when I preached there years ago. You see, emptiness had left Naomi almost unrecognizable. We've got to be real honest. Naomi was honest. She said, God, here I am. I'm not the one that that sees the pleasantness of, of Jehovah anymore. Uh, Lord, she listen, her heart, she may not have vocalized it. Do you remember what David prayed in that, that great penitential psalm? He said, Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Naomi may have prayed in her quiet time at night, in the stillness of the loneliness, she may have cried out, Oh God, I am now Mara, make me Naomi once again. We got to be honest with God before we can be honest with anyone else. Because I'm going to tell you something, God knows you better than you know yourself. Naomi said, God, here I am. There's nothing else I can do. We've got to be honest with ourselves. She said, this is who I am. She couldn't just put up on put makeup on, and when she walked in the city, everybody said, oh, is that Naomi? And she just, hey, how y'all doing? You know, we're all guilty of this now. We're all guilty of this. Because it is a southern way of life when we walk in somewhere and we see someone that we don't see on a regular basis. How you doing? Oh, I'm good. How you doing? No, and you're not good. Your life's a wreck. I mean, everything at home's a wreck. You don't know how you're going to pay your bills. You don't know what's going on uh, in your family. You don't know what's going on. You're not being honest. And some of it's because we're not honest with ourselves. Because we live a lie, watching TV, listening to music, we think we've got to put on appearances. Now, I'm not talking about be Debbie Downer and go around telling everybody all your problems. But we've got to be honest and say, listen, except for the grace of God, I couldn't survive. Naomi said, this is who I am. The ten years in the wasteland has taken its toll on my life. I've lost my husband. I've lost my children. And all I've got now is me and my daughter-in-law, whose husband, my son, has died as well. We've got to be honest with God, with ourselves, and with others. The world needs to see our brokenness. The world needs to see. Listen, if the world can't see a believer need God, why do you think they're going to think they need him? The problem with many Christians, it's been so long since you were lost, you've forgotten how much it means that God saved you. We have somehow developed a ministerial religiosity that we think somehow God saved us way back then, but we're taking care of business now. 
I'm going to tell you something. That's theist, that, that, that's a, a evolutionist idea of salvation. That God does it like theistic evolution and then he takes his hands off of it. I'm going to tell you, not only did God save you if you're born again, God is saving you and God will save you. And every day, every breath, every step, every word, everything about your life depends on him. Be honest with others. But things began to change. Chapter 2, verse 20. And Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, you remember she comes out and, and it's time for barley harvest. We read that. And she looks and she said, listen, there's a law of the land that if you just go and you stand in the corner of the field, it's against the law for even the, the owners of the land when they're picking their crops to take every single thing up out of that field. They have to leave the corners. And that's for the people who can't take care of themselves. People who are struggling that don't have land to farm, they're, it's there to glean. And so go stand in the land. And when they're done, then go out in the corner of the field. And that's what she did. But she was noticed. And apparently Ruth was a looker because Boaz was slain. And Ruth came home and tells Naomi what's going on. And Naomi said unto Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his maidens, Boaz maidens, that they may meet thee not in any other field. You see, in verse 20, it said, Naomi said unto her daughter, Blessed be he, Boaz, be he of the Lord, who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, The man is near of kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. He was what the law would call a near kinsman redeemer. You see, Naomi saw it for what it was, and she thanked the one who was doing something about it. Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord. She said, blessed be Boaz, but it's Boaz because of God. Jo Jacob sent his boys to Egypt not knowing that his son, that his other sons had sold into slavery would be the one to provide. But what he did know was the one he had wrestled with years before had made him a promise. God would take care even in the midst of famine. And we know from Joseph's famous words, in that last chapter of Genesis, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Listen, praise God. We need to praise God today in the midst of all the heartache, the trials, the emptiness, the, the out of our norm, uncomfortable situations that we're living in. Do not live your life in fear. Remember to praise God for who He is. I heard an old preacher say, he said, there's three things that can happen. He said, I'll either stay at home and get it or I'll go to church and get it or I will go to church and not get it. He said, but whatever happens, I'll either live or I'll die. But whether I go, whether I stay, whether I live or whether I die, God's in control and I want to be in the center of his will. I'm not going to live every day of my life 
for the rest of my life in fear. I'm going to trust God. Now, you've got to season that. You've got to be smart, as I said at the start of this thing. Respect over fear. But let's not forget who God is. You say, yeah, but all the numbers. Listen, all of the laws of nature said there's no way to take a million people right smack dab through the middle of a sea. Yet God did it. Right? Every law of nature says there's no way to get now a multiply, multiply that million and bring them across the Jordan on dry ground. Yet God did it. There's no earthly way you can take 300 soldiers and defeat 10,000. God did it. There's no way you can take God, bring him and have him born of a virgin, which is against nature. Live completely, utterly, absolutely, not only inerrant, but infallible, that which cannot err, live his entire life without sin and die for the sins of everyone else. But here's the kicker. Let's not forget who our God is. He's the one that left the tomb empty. We're only a few weeks removed from Easter. Come on, church. Our God is God. What did Ruth say? Your God shall be my God. That God is the God and there is no other. We ought to praise him for what he does. Has God done anything for you? I mean anything? We ought to praise him. When people start saying, how's it going? Oh, man, let me tell you. You ain't got to just, you know, act crazy and be super spiritual. But, hey, brag on God. Brag on God. Has he not blessed you? Has he not blessed you beyond measure? When you look at Naomi, you say, compared to Naomi, everybody's blessed. Yet Naomi praised God. Elizabeth Elliot became a great writer that a lot of these women and you have read. She experienced almost the same thing except for the fact that Jim didn't lead her away from God. He led his family into the center of God's will and it still cost him his life. He was a martyr. Elizabeth understood that. Nate Saint's widow understood that and raised their children in the nurture and admonition of the grace of God to the point they led the man who killed their father to the Lord. When we praise God, I want you to understand you need to be ready to be filled. What if, now let me ask you something. I'm going to conclude. What if this week, Today's May 3rd. I'd look it up. All my days and everything's run together. Today's May 3rd. What if you look back 10 years from now and May th the week of May 3rd was the watershed moment in your life that you can come back in your life and point to this week and say it was this week that God filled my life. He said in chapter 3 verse 17 you remember what she first said? She said I went out full and yet God has made me empty because of my life. She said in verse 17 
These six measures of barley gave he me, for he said to me, Go not empty. This is what Ruth come to Naomi. Said, Boaz told me to bring all of this barley to you. Go not empty into your mother-in-law. Listen, she was filled with food. God will provide for your daily needs if you'll trust him. You feel empty, you feel like, man, I just don't have it together. I don't, I don't know how we're going to make the bill, pay the bills. One of the greatest biographies you need to read is the biography of George Mueller. George Mueller had a heart for orphans in Great Britain. George Mueller never had a spaghetti supper, never had a carriage wash. They didn't have cars back then. He never had a fundraiser. What he did was he prayed. And literally as you read through this, and this is a biography, not an autobiography. And so these are testimonies of other eyewitnesses of his life that he would literally have all these orphans and that he would get up in the morning and have absolutely no food to feed any of them. And he would get on his face and he would pray until there was a knock on the door. And someone would come by and say, I was walking down the street and I could not get past this door. God said to stop and knock and hand you this. And they would hand him money. He said, I don't even know what it's for. I just know God told me to give it. And they were literally not tens, but hundreds of testimonies of how God provided for not just George Mueller, but for his heart to take care of those orphans. Filled with food, daily needs, God will take care of. Filled with family. Listen, all of a sudden, now think about this. I know it's not direct descendant, but when you look back, you know, we like to say, you know, we talk about the six degrees of knowing somebody, and people are looking up all their DNA now and said, oh, I was, you know, you look up my DNA and I've got a Scottish king in my past or I have a, a Civil War general that was in my family and all this. When you look back at Naomi, she could say, my daughter-in-law is the great-great-grandmother of King David. For Boaz and Ruth had Obed, and Obed had Jesse. And when the prophet came to Jesse's house, said, Jesse, bring your boys. He brought all his boys. He said, no, don't you have any more? He said, yeah, I got one more on the backside of the field. He said, well, call for him. He said, send for David. David came, and the prophet said, there's our next king. Out of emptiness, God will fill you with family. Be thankful for who you have. Filled with a future. Oh, how exciting. Chapter 4, verse 9. Boaz said unto the elders and to all the people, You are witnesses this day that I brought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and all that was Malon's of the hand of Naomi. I have bought it. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malon, have I purchased to be my wife to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. Boaz didn't say, who cares about all that? It's about me now. He said, I'm going to bring respect and honor to that family. 
that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his, his brethren and from the gate of his place. You are witnesses this day. Oh, Naomi had a future she didn't even realize. God blessed her. You don't know what tomorrow holds, but you know who holds it. And I want to leave you with this. In the midst of your emptiness, in the midst of your despair, your loneliness, your overwhelming feeling of bitterness and just sheer lack, or the word empty means in, in the Hebrew, means void or in vain. If you feel like everything you've done is in vain, your life's just been voided, it, it means nothing. I want you to understand that which is the opposite of the big stamp, void. You ever seen a check? You ever seen a check that was written out, but it was messed up, and somebody wrote across it in big letters, void, or they stamped void. It means it cannot be any good ever, ever again. No value out of that check. It's void. But the word redeem means you can take an instrument of monetary value, a check or whatever it is, and you can take it and turn it in and redeem it for the value. Boaz took that which was void, that which was empty, and redeemed it. And I want you to understand something. You're not forgotten. It said in verse 14, The women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which has not left you this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto you a restorer of life and a nourisher of thine old age for your daughter-in-law, which loves you, which is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. You're not forgotten. No matter where you're at, what you're going through, God has not forgotten. You see, God sees you. Whether it's in the belly of a whale, as Moses was on the backside of a desert, or Naomi there in Moab as well. Whether it's the Hebrews in Egypt, or whether it's you in the midst of a pandemic, God sees you. And never forget, Jesus loves you and died for you. For just as Ruth had no, she didn't even understand the Jewish law. But when she said, your God shall be my God, she accepted all that. And in accepting what we say, oh, that's just a bunch of rules and regulations, it opened her up to be redeemed. And that which had been stamped void, Boaz says, hey, you're nearer to them. You want No, I can't do it. You take her. And he went and he said, let everybody know I'm redeeming this family. Jesus, before heaven and earth, said, Father, here's my blood. Put it on my account. And for those who know and believe in Him as Lord and Savior and confess with their mouth, Oh, I'm bitter and broken and empty and lonely. God, I have no hope without You. He will redeem you. So what will you do? Will you trust the Lord today? Will you let Him fill you up? That which is empty. The Old Testament says we're as broken cisterns that can hold no water, but God can fill you up. Let's pray, Father.
In Jesus' name, I pray for all those listening today that may be experiencing an overwhelming presence of emptiness. They can't even explain it. They just know that there's this dread that hangs over them, this, this loneliness, this bitterness, this mara that Naomi experienced. God, may they trust you. May they not have to see it. Naomi had to go back to see what you could do. May we come back to you right now on our face. Say, God, I repent. Lord, with bitter tears, forgive me. Those who are lost, may they today say, God, I have no hope without you. Father, save me. Change me today. I pray, Lord, forgive me of all my sins. I confess you as my Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray that you'd fill us up, that we'd be ready to see you move in our lives as we go forward. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the testimony of Naomi, for the hope that is in Christ. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we go off, I want to uh, let you know exactly what we're going to be doing. Now, the deacons and I will be meeting this week and going over it all. But what we'll be doing is starting May 17th, there will be no Sunday school. Uh, there'll be no Sunday night. There'll be no Wednesday night. We'll phase those in at a later date. All we need to know is right now, May 17th, we will have worship in the rock at 1030. There'll be no choir. There'll be no nursery. And so understand there will be no nursery. You'll bring your children with you. Now I want to say this from the very start. If you are sick, in any form or fashion, stay at home. And if you feel vulnerable, if you feel you're, you have underlying conditions or overwhelmed by it all, then be, continue to enjoy worshiping at home. But if not, we're going to be back meeting. I've consulted with, with many around and other churches that are much bigger, much smaller. There are other churches here in Evans that will be opening that same Sunday, we know restaurants are beginning to open up. But on that Sunday, we're going to be spacing the chairs out. And here's one of the big things. We'll repeat it. You'll be getting an email. You will sit with your family unit. Youth will not be sitting with other youth. Children will not be sitting with other children. It will be immediate family. Now, we're talking about if there's mom and daddy and their children sitting with their mom and daddy, that's a family unit. But we will not be intermingling and we will not have one way in, one way out. There will be multiple entrances, our security, and our greeters will make sure of all that. We will not be shaking hands, hugging necks. I know some of you, it's hard to resist, but try to be patient. Try your best not to do those things. We want to continue the best we can with the social distancing. Every bit of this, if you say, well, what about the governor? I have been on the computer with the governor and with his uh, chief of staff and with uh, his director of public service. Andrew's been in there. Several of our deacons have been in there with that meeting. None of this is against the law. He encourages us to do it. Just remember social distancing, trying to keep the six foot. So we're going to be spread out 
It'll be a little bit different, but we're going to take every caution we can to do our best, but it's time. It's time. And so May 17th, 1030, be there, be square. God bless you. Have a great week. If you have any questions, you can call the office this week. But next week is Mother's Day. We'll be having service on live at 1030, as Andrew said. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll be on at 1030. But then the following week, we'll be live in person. So God bless you. Have a great week. See you soon.